Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. All righty, folks. Mr. Curiosity is here. And uh, of course, I'm really just a local weatherman, Joe Snedeker. But I'm curious about things like the guy I have with me today. Uh, and I must admit, before I say his name, um, this is a problem I have. It's probably some insecurity. It's probably some chip on my shoulder. I don't know what it is. But when someone says their official formal name and they include their middle initial, I always think, what a pompous jerk. Yes. It's Alan K. Stout. Ah. Alan K. Stout. Why can't I just say Al Stout? You can. And that's what I do. And I'll tell you the story behind that. Oh, good. See, what a great start already. It is. uh, I'm actually glad you said that. Okay. Why do I use my middle initial sometimes? And I don't use it all the time. When I start writing for the Times Leader. Okay. Back in 1992, right around the time you got started. Parallel uh, careers here, Joe. Are you, before you go on, are we similar in age? You look younger and better looking than me. No, no, no. You're in better shape. You're the the guy biking all the time. I'm 53. Oh, I'm 55 and my hair is gray and I have pimples and you have a smooth uh, complexion and great dirty blonde hair. No, no, no. I got the, it's not showing up. I got the, I got the grays and I got the wrinkles. (laughs) Okay. I didn't mean to cut lighting here. Good lighting. (laughs) (laughs) But I, um, I wrote a couple of stories for the Times Leader just using Alan Stout, and my name has no rhythm to it. You have some vibes, Joe Schnedeker. Are you kidding some... me? That Snedeker has no vibes. It's like no. a, it's like a it's like a detour on a highway. Joe, it's got some it's got some syllables to it. It's got some where Alan Stout is very blunt, and so I threw the K in there just as a writer for the byline in the newspaper. Okay. That's it. I don't call myself that. I don't introduce myself as that. Oh, to okay. I just say, I'm Alan. How you doing? Uh, some of my friends call me Al, like, you know, Chevy Chase or, you know, like the Chevy Chase video with uh, Paul Simon. But so, you're right. Then once once you start it, then you can't end it. So as soon as you were, yeah, journalist Alan K. Stout, now you can't end that. So it's got to go then, forever now Then people would some. And so what happened was some of my friends at the newspaper gave me a nickname. They called me Alan K or AKS. And that's all right. You know, that's cool. I mean. My middle name is Kent, so it's kind of an unusual middle name too. That was going to be one of my questions. I don't yeah. know if I like Kent. That's like almost like a like a like a soap opera name. I it, well, I was a junior, and so you know, my grandmother, you know, named that came up with that in 1945. Kent. So you can't even blame my mom for that one. <laughs> but um, so All anyway, right. well, I was calling my so so how it got into the thing though, where I actually had this was uncomfortable for me. So. I was doing a radio show. Right. I didn't even start doing the radio show until 10 years after I was writing. So the Alan K. Stout thing was already fairly well established for people that read my stuff. And I did not call myself that on the radio. When I came on the air, I would say, hey, everybody, Alan Stout with you Sunday nights, 9 to 10, music on the menu. And I did that for nine years. And then I changed stations. I went over from the mountain over to the river. Okay. And the program director listened to my first couple of shows and he said, why aren't you identifying yourself on your show when you come on the air? And I go, well, what do you mean? I go, I always say who I am. He goes, you don't say Alan K. Stout. Oh, I, said, man. I said, well, I don't call myself that. That's just a byline <laughs> in the newspaper. And I'm not like, 
you know, George Hamilton in a tuxedo. Walking yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Alan K. Stout. How are yes, you? Yes, yes. And he's he, stuffy, pretentious. That's what I think. Exactly. And I, I never, and he said, um, he said basically, well, you should, you know, that's your, that's how people know you from, from music. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. And he'd been in music. He's in the radio hall of fame, this, this gentleman. And I respect him tremendously. And so Sometimes I kind of got used. I, yeah. I kind of got used to just saying it a little bit when I come on the radio, but that's the only time that I actually use it in my life. So no, I no excuse needed. Like I said, that's probably my hang up. Look at Michael J. Fox. He can't be just Mike Fox, right? He's got to be Michael J. Fox. I never thought about it. There are a lot of people <laughs> that that use it. Uh, I just stuck it in in the newspaper on a whim in 1993. Like I said, after I had written a bunch of stories, stayed with it. And then it became a nickname, and now it's the radio thing. And uh, let me try. For I, a, I'm just Alan. <laughs> well, let me try it for a second. See what you think. I'm Joseph M. Snedeker. Doesn't it take away? Now I'm like some uptight guy with a board up his rear end. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm yeah, just kidding. No. So no, so it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it would not work for you. And your personality. Work, your personality, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, let's dig into your life. So you were you were born in 1968. Seven. 67 and uh, yeah. where i was born in wilkes-barre at uh, general hospital local guy and mm-hmm. your mom and dad from the area all that stuff they yes uh both have passed uh my mom was from well she kind of mostly grew up in lee park hanover township when she was a young girl and uh, my father is from pittston and uh my they got divorced when i was about three my mother remarried a wonderful stepfather i don't even call him stepfather he's my dad and he's from kingston so my parents both my dad's fathers and my mother are from from the wyoming valley uh and i mean this in a complimentary way i kind of felt that vibe you seem like a local guy and i'm proud to be a local guy and i think you are too probably right i mean oh absolutely we got it in our bloodstream absolutely absolutely i love this area i'm sitting in my office right now at the luzerne county visitors bureau looking out on public square in downtown Wilkesbury. And uh, I feel fortunate to I'm looking at the Kirby center across, across the window. I'm, I was I'm wondering why the river wasn't here. flowing behind you. I thought yeah. that yeah. <laughs> I, I was expecting more texture with the cumulus clouds, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fake. I see. I see. We'll get to your new job in a second. Um, but so, so you public school guy, when you were growing up elementary, how where'd you graduate from high school? Both. I went to Catholic school. Whoa! Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I went from kindergarten to seventh grade, so I got eight years of parochial school education, and then I transferred for eighth grade for the rest to Wyoming Valley West High School and, and middle school. So I got I got both. I got to see both sides of the world, literally. <laughs> if you're brought up in the '60s and '70s in this area, there's a good chance that you're Catholic and you did what you did instead of, I went to a public school, but I had to go every Saturday to uh, what we would call catechism. So I know yeah. the vibe, brother. I know the vibe. Could and these Catholic it? schools were in everybody's neighborhood. Oh my God. They were next to the church. So you walked, you know, I mean, you walked to school and I think it's in Plymouth. Uh, there are two Catholic schools. They're, they're no longer open elementary schools, but the buildings are still standing that are literally like a block away from each other. Yeah, it's I mean, amazing. That's, you know, that's how much this Catholic education was, uh, you know, thriving in the in the 50s and 60s. And I guess 
maybe up to around the eighties. Yeah. You had your yeah. Polish people here going to their church and you had your Italian people here going to their church with their own uh, version of Catholicism and everybody. Yeah. Own thing. It was amazing, right? I mean, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, all right. So when you when you're in high school, are you thinking this is it? Now I'm a music guy. I want a job in journalism. I have a propensity to play instruments. I want to be in a band. I want to be a rock star. I want to be a journalist. What's going through your head? The Alan K. Stout head. <laughs> a little bit of all of that. I went to my first concert in 1982. I was, it was a couple days after my 15th birthday, if I recall. I know it was a couple days after my birthday. I'm just trying to do the math. I think I just turned 50. It was 82. And my first concert was enormous. Wait, wait, wait. I like how you're building up to it. Don't tell me who it is, because this is going to be a life-altering, maybe, uh, juncture in your life and a division. So I'm it trying was. to think it's 82. Where did they play? JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, hundred thousand people. This is a big one. Okay, and I'm sorry to interrupt. So, so this is big. You're 14, 15, big concert rock guy. Yeah, I went to see the Who. Oh yeah. my God! I mean, that if there is a proper way to start, I couldn't think of a more proper way to start. Concert. It was like uh, baptism by fire. They had the Clash opening. Uh, Santana was there. It was an all-day concert, and it did change my life. Uh, once I went to that concert, I just wanted to keep going to more of them because <laughs> I, I just the whole experience, you know, not to be corny, but, you know, you see the power of rock and roll. You see the beauty of rock and roll. You see the communion. You see the 100,000 people in unison pumping their arms to Bob O'Reilly, and you feel something that you'd never felt before. You've seen something you've never seen before. And you walk out of there as a 15-year-old kid, barely 15. Like I said, it just turned 15 a couple of days earlier. A different person. Yes. It really, really, really who was. You, who did you go with? Was it a, a sibling or an older friend? Uh, a buddy of mine. My, you know, we were too young to drive down to Philadelphia, obviously, from, from Wilkes-Barre. Uh, being 15 years old, we didn't even drive at all. My parents were cool enough to drive us down. They dropped us off at the stadium. I think they took my sister to the Philadelphia Zoo for the day and entertained themselves around Philly and basically said, we'll pick you guys up right here after the show. And that's what they did. We, we met at, you know, designate, des, you know, designated spot after the concert. And uh, I came out of there probably a different person. Um, also, just as a side note for people from northeastern Pennsylvania, the day of that concert was September 25th 1982 and since we're just having a conversation here uh it was the day that george banks murdered all those people in wilkesbury really yes and so we're driving down to philadelphia on the turnpike my dad's driving and me and my buddy are in the back we have the radio on and we're hearing about this mass shooting in our home that's you know you know, making the news all over the United States. And so that was kind of on our mind um, as well that day. Yeah, What's going as on? a 15 year old, you probably uh, didn't really channel that negative energy that to, to you or to me when we're 14, 15, that's someone else's world. No, you're usually a little bit. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, we were going to the concert to have a good time and we did. 
but it was part of my memories of that day. Wow. You know, at least, at least going down there and, and, you know, not even, you know, that those, unfortunately, those type of incidents happen now in our country. I think there were 14 people killed that day or 13 people in Wilkes-Barre um, all the time. You know, I mean, they, they, they're, they're so common. Yeah. Now. It's, yeah. It's less numbing. It's, now. It's, yeah. It's so, it's because so, we are but, numb. but back then it was, it grabbed the whole nation's attention. I think it was the worst in the history of the country at that time for, for one mass shooting. And so, you know, that was a side story to, um, to that day, to that day, which I always do think about. So it was extremely sad to, and there were children and it was, and the fact that we see that now so much that sometimes it, it doesn't even stay in the news cycle more than a day. I want to talk about the positive stuff, though, more than that. I'm wondering this. So this is a a point in time for both the Clash and the Who, isn't it? Isn't this after the Quadrophenia, but yet before Face Dances? Well, actually, it was was, the album was It's Hard, and the the Who were doing what they had announced as the Farewell Tour. I don't think anyone else had ever done that before. Now Farewell Tour is something that a lot of bands do, and then they change their mind five years later, and they come back out. And the Who did that. That's exactly what the Who did. Uh, they came back out again in 80. 89. I thought you said this was 80. This is 82. Oh, 82. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, okay. Right. So that's when the Who yeah. had already changed. They, now they're doing yeah. face dances and it's hard. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Thought, yeah. Yeah. Keith Moon had already passed. But uh, the Clash had just released Combat Rock. Yeah. So they had Rock the Casbah was on MTV <laughs> that summer. And it was amazing, Joe. And then what happened was I really wanted to... Um, you know, I threw myself into music, all those things that you mentioned before. Yeah. I, I, I bought a bass guitar at one point and I played in a band and with my buddies in the basement and I read music magazines every time I could. I was the first kid at the supermarket the day that the hip parader or the circus magazine came out. I loved reading articles about my favorite artists, learning about how they made their records, what producers they work with, what studios they work with. Um, and all that leads up to me saying that, no, I did not go to school to be a journalist at all. I went to school to be a- <laughs> so, that, went to- so your primary interest then is, is music. You're, you're playing some instruments. You're going to concerts. You're like everyone of that time. You're reading the inside and outside and every lyric written down, every producer of an album cover. You're going through the whole thing like we all did because there was nothing else. Yes. I mean, it, it, and I loved the production side of it. I loved listening to how albums sounded differently. You know, I would listen to the various instruments and, oh, wow, that drum sounds amazing. I remember uh, Pyromania from Def Leppard. Sure. I remember a kid brought that cassette on the school bus. We were allowed to bring your boombox on the bus back then and blast it on the way to school. And there was this awesome hierarchy. The, uh, the upperclassmen sat in the back of the bus and they controlled the music. They brought the boom. Oh, man. Sure they did. Right. And you listen to what they play. And you and don't dare how... venture down in the back on their turf until you, it's your turf and you're a senior. And you had your turn to bring the boom box. <laughs> and then you would sit in the back and control the music. So these guys. That's audible older... bullying. Auto, audible bullying and physical bullying was okay. But back. it was cool because these guys were playing Van Halen and stuff. So it was all right. And that's how I, I first time I heard Van Halen was on the school bus. Because oh. this kid named Corey was blasting it on his boombox, and the deaf—I could—I re- could literally remember sitting on the bus, and there were 
kid was playing pyromania and thinking, I never heard drums like that before. Those drums are amazing. And then that kind of led to me wanting to know, well, who, how'd they do that? Oh, a producer figured out how to make that sound. Well, who was he? Oh, <laughs> That's the same guy that produced the cars and ACDC. And so, so all of a sudden I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm diving in deep to the music big time. At the same time, I went to school to be a school teacher. Well, wait, I you're skipping my- ahead now. So you're back from the Who concert. You're listening to albums. You're playing instruments. And now you have to decide on a career. So where do you go to college and what do you major in? I went to LCC for two years and Kings for two years. And I majored in uh, history and education. So right off the bat, though, when you were a senior in high school, you're saying, I want to be a history teacher. Is this where you're at? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Social studies. Yeah. And I did that for a couple of years uh, as a substitute teacher. And I still have kids that come up to me today and say, you were my teacher in 1989, 90, 91, 92. I did. So far, I just want to say this. So far, we're on parallel paths. (laughs) Yeah. Although my parents didn't get divorced, but everything else is going right along, man. I went my first concert was Blue Oyster Cult. I think you told me that when I was on the radio with you once. Yeah, you're a big fan still to this day, right? And and, uh, I was a science teacher uh, and study and meteorology major in in college. So we're taking this path, man. I love it. Yeah. So you made made a left at some point and got into broadcast television with with, with meteorology. That that was a trip on the road that took me down a a new path. (laughs) Totally changed your life. I yeah. mean, totally changed your life. But, but do you I, ever think? Do you ever think that if you went into a public school situation at this time, and when you were twenty-one, that you'd be retired now? Yeah, I often think that because I was a high school science teacher for eleven years at Carbondale yeah. area, and yeah, so I am fifty-five. I would have been retired by now. Exactly. But so Al, with my with my issues and short attention span and high energy level, I get depressed. When I don't have anything to do, some people could sit on the porch or go fishing or watch TV or watch a ball game. I can't do any of those things. So I think that would have been to my detriment had I. Yeah, I don't think you would be a a very good at being retired at 55, Joe. And I don't know you personally, but I've heard heard you banter on the radio. Your personality (laughs) really comes out when you do the weather sometimes on the radio. And you would be very restless. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of issues. But but why didn't you then continue on with it? Were you were you dismayed by education? Were you not at all? Not at all. This is, the, this is this is this is the this is the fork in the road. It, it was in the spring of '93, uh, and I was um, I guess about 24, and I was substituting for about three years at Valley West, mostly. But do you have your sec- you have your secondary ed social studies certificate at this point? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So here you are. You got the degree yep. waving. You're a mm-hmm. certified teacher. You're ready to go. You're subbing at a school. Yep. You're waiting all- for a full-time position. Yep, exactly. This and is then exactly what where I was. And the uh and I and I did I got a lot of work there. The, I mean the teachers liked me. And so they would request me when they were going to be out. If, and sometimes they would know they were going to be out. This is kind of funny. They would tell me they were going to take tomorrow off in the hallway if they'd see me. Oh, I got Yeah, I've done, yeah, yeah, done that. Yep. I'm going to be out tomorrow. And so the school would call me like six, quarter after six the next morning. 
uh, Mr. Stout, can you come in for, you know, Mr. Uh, Bruner today? And you and already like, had known. I'm, yes. I'm up and showered already. I've got the suit on. Oh, yeah. Kind of pretend like you're still asleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that so I had a nice situation. And um, in the fall of 92, I started freelancing for the Times Leader as a music correspondent. So I was doing both at the same time. Yeah, but that that to me right there is quite a hump. Like, how do you go from substitute teacher then all of a sudden to writing articles of music review to for for a local publication? How does that happen? Who do you know? Did you did you pursue it? Were you aggressive? I want to do this, or did it stumble? Yes, I sent. It's an interesting story. I don't know if I've ever told it before, but as I'm as I'm substitute teaching, I'm. Also thinking, well, you know, I'd really just like to get to work. I don't know how long it's going to take to get a full-time job at the district. Maybe I should see what else I can do. And so I start reading classifieds, and my parents got the citizen's voice. Hmm. And I decided that I would subscribe to the Times Leader to get uh, both classifieds. I wanted to read both of them every day. So I, so we got both papers, and I was paying for the Times Leader. And as I'm, since I'm paying for it, I'm reading it. And I just kind of noticed that I thought that the TL could use a little more local music coverage. Okay. And so, and when I was in college, my favorite thing to do was write papers. You know, I remember the one time we had a teacher at Kings, I think he gave us 11 papers to write in one semester. And my, my classmates were rolling their eyes and, oh my God, this guy's yeah. killing us. And I was like, I'd rather write a paper any day than, you know, take a, a test. I mean, give, I could sit down, take my time with it. So I got an A in that course. I think I was the only one that got an A in that course where we had to write the 11 papers. So I like to write. I like music. I know I'm reading the Times Leader looking for the classifieds. And I think, well, you know, maybe there's something I could do there. So I literally put a package together and sent it to the entertainment editor, uh, basically saying, I'd like to write music for you. And he called me in and gave me a shot. And I started writing as a correspondent, a uh, freelance writer. And I did them both at the same time. So now I'm teaching and I'm subbing. The one day I went into sub, and this was kind of funny. And the teacher had the newspaper open on the desk. And it was a review of like this hardcore band that I had reviewed at the factory in Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> and I'm standing there in my suit teaching history. <laughs> and my, my constant review is laying on the desk of like this metal band. And so... You know, it was who that a strange was? point in my life. It really was. I never really told these stories before, but I'm like, well, what, if, you know, when I'm young, so it doesn't matter. I'm on, I'm going to get something here. It's going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a writer, but um, I got my foot in the door, both places. And do you remember uh, the old Sunday independent newspaper in Wilkes-Barre? I do not. I'm an up Valley guy. I thought so. Sunday independent was the biggest Sunday newspaper in Luzerne County. And that's all they did. They only published on Sunday. And in the fall of 90, the spring of 93, they went out of business. And they, they closed shop. I don't really know why, because they were still extremely successful. They still sold tons of papers and they had all the Sunday ads. But And the, the Times Leader already had a paper in place. They had a Sunday paper out. They were way second in circulation to the independent. But overnight, literally, their Sunday circulation just exploded. All of a sudden, they are the only Sunday newspaper in Luzerne County. They got all of those subscribers. It's always the highest circulation day anyway. And you're in they there. Got all, they got all those ads, and they had jobs. 
and they needed more people to come in and help put out the newspaper. I had been freelancing for them for about six months, and uh, I got the call that I got the job at the newspaper while I was subbing at Valley West, ironically enough. There's the turn in life right there. There it was. There it was. I got to stop you right there because I always think uh, an opportunity to influence and inspire others. Maybe there's someone listening now. I was going through the same exact thing. I was a science teacher and I have the meteorology background and there was an opening at WNEP and you put a packet together in 1992 around there, right? Exactly. Because because of your, your innate interests, because of your passions and look what it got you. I did the same thing. I put a little packet together, hurdy gurdy pictures of me, my weather station at home, everything I've been doing for my past five, 10 years, my interest. And I mailed it to Tom Clark. I was surprised. He called me back and he said, come on down the station. Let's see what you got. You did that. The message here for anyone out there is, I think two things, follow your passions, your, your strengths, where your interests are. And second, the world isn't going to come to you. You got to go to them. You got to get aggressive and you got to, you got to fire as many darts out into the dark as you can until one or two sticks. That's what you did. That's what I did. And that's when the world opens up for you. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I never thought that I would have a desk in the Times Leader newsroom and that my job for quite a few years would be to write about music. Yeah, you made that happen, though. You created your world. That's the point here. You did it. It was really amazing to have. And, you know, I and then I'm in the middle of everything, Joe. Then the 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 amphitheater opened in 94 at Montage Mountain and the arena gets built. And all of a sudden, the biggest stars in the world are coming through Scranton Wilkes-Barre and their publicists are looking for press unbelievable so it's all of a sudden you're interviewing uh the biggest rock stars in the world it's like you were dropped in at the right time and place you were parachuted into this new world i i wouldn't have wanted to do it any other time it was so exciting the 90s in in this area for music the kirby had already been completely refurbished in 86 so that was up and running they were doing wonderful shows then Metropolitan came in and built the amphitheater, the old one at the bottom of the ski lodge. Yeah. They were there for years before they built the new one. And, but they're still bringing in Van Halen and, and Aerosmith and everybody. And I was covering all those shows. So then the arena a, comes along. You're a time music reviewer. That's your position. That was my position. And then the local scene was amazing. Uh, the clubs, the nightlife was thriving. I mean, these clubs that we had at the time, Market Street Square and the Staircase and Jitterbugs and Station Sansui, they were packed with people going out to see live music on the weekends. I, I mean, was one of them. Hundreds. Yes. Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds. So now I, mean, I have to ask you, you got to give me some gossip and some dirt. Give me some of these big wigs you ran into. Give me some 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 oddities that happened give, give me some stuff you were with billy joel tyler bowie eddie van halen don Henley. i read your bio you brushed with these people correct yeah i interviewed all those people you uh, sometimes more always the interview was done like we're doing it now uh, on telephone because oh, what, okay how that worked was the reason that we were doing the interview was to advance the content that was coming to town so they called it an advance in the business, in the 
newspaper business and the record business. So Aerosmith is coming to town. They're going to play montage on April or on, on August 15th. You try to get an interview with someone in the band about two weeks earlier on the phone. That way you have some time to turn it around, write it, and put it on the cover of the weekend section or, or the weekender, if I was writing for the weekender, which came later, or the arts and entertainment section a couple of days before the concert. So it was a preview. So, hey, they're coming to Montage. Here's an interview with Steven Tyler. He's talking about the new tour. He's talking about the new album. And I imagine and they're how, reluctant. They don't want to do it. Their publisher's making them do it, correct? I used to think that, um, but I was always prepared for that. I was always prepared for the reluctant participant. Yes. <laughs> you know, I really was, but I have to tell you, and you can listen to these conversations because I put most of them, the big ones up on YouTube. It wasn't that at all. Oh. These people, these people were awesome. I mean, they were funny. Uh, Billy Joel and I were, were cracking up laughing a couple of times. He held the receiver up to the phone so I could hear his daughter getting the piano lesson in the background. All right. That's excellent. You know? And I said to him at one point, I go, he said, hey, check this out. Listen to this. I hear a piano. And I said, what is that? He goes, that's my daughter. And he goes, she's getting a piano lesson. I said, who gives her the piano lesson? And he goes, oh, I have a guy come to the house. Like, he didn't give her the lesson. Yeah, the piano he- man not giving yeah. the lesson. Unbelievable. Yeah, he didn't think he was good enough. And so, you know, I, I had a lot of experience. Bowie was a lot more engaged. I figured he would be aloof, totally uninterested. His persona Exactly. I would think Bowie would be rebellious in this in this interview process. Not at all. He was on a bus. He was going to Pittsburgh. So he was calling on the bus and I was sitting in the newsroom and great conversation with David. He was funny, engaged. uh, Yeah. And are you one of many like they have to do, say, 10 that day? Are you just in the chain or or, or is this a fairly unique experience when they're doing this? You know, I don't know. I think we were successful for a couple of reasons in getting I don't, I know that they would sometimes only do one in the market and sometimes they might only do like with Neil Diamond, the one year one for the whole tour. And I was able to get it. Oh, that's excellent. Because a couple of things, I built up a really good relationship with the publicists and the record labels, the artists. um, I quote people accurately. I recorded these conversations. And so I know that the artists were happy with the articles because it's exactly what they said. And I would send tear sheets out to the publicists so that they got to see the work and so that the artists got to see it. And then in 97, the Times Leader was purchased by Knight Ritter, which was a huge newspaper chain. I remember that. And I was excited about it. I know some of my coworkers were nervous because anytime you get purchased, and you, you know you've been through this a few times at NEP, you don't know what the new guys are going to bring to the table right. or how, how the management's going to go or what's going to happen. I figured I didn't worry about any of that. There's nothing I could do about that. What I was excited about was that I thought, well, I could now contribute to the Knight Ritter syndicated services and use that as a pitch to these publicists to get these stars. And that's exactly what I did. So I could tell David Bowie's publicist or Don Henley's publicist, if you give me Don Henley on the phone for 30 minutes, I can hit 800 newspapers across the country. We could reach millions of people. So what a grab. Yes, it's local, but it's national because you're attached to this national name, this national. Yeah. And so that was that was cool. My stories start running on the on the national wire all over the United States. And I would hear that it ran in the Chicago Tribune or the Philadelphia Daily News or Fort Worth Star Telegram, Miami Herald. 
And that helps too. You know, certainly that was certainly worth any artist's time. Hey, you can advance the whole tour if you talk to this guy in Wilkesbury for a half an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that worked, out for you. that worked well for our readers. No, which our was, readers got to read them. So, so someone like Don Henley, I mean, he, I am a big Eagles fan. I'm a big Don Henley fan, but at the same time, Don Henley seems a little bit of um, a control freak, a little bit of uh, there's an arrogance there. Did that come out or not so much? Was he, do you, do you have recollection? Recollect? Yeah, oh, I remember it well. It was one of my favorite interviews. I did it really? at home. I did it at home because he was in California time or something. And they asked if he could call it nine o'clock or something like that. I said, all right, just call this number. And so I gave him my number instead of the newsroom number. So I'm sitting in my apartment in Kingston. I live right by Valley West stadium and Don Henley calls. uh, (laughs) Now it's funny. You're walking by people's houses someday and you have no idea what's going on inside that house. Yeah. Right. One day back in in 2000, I was sitting in there talking to Don Henley. Don Henley and the Eagles. What year is this? I was 2000. So I, I mean, this is almost, Way after the Eagles disbanded, but this is almost even before I think heritage type bands started coming back. I mean, that could have been if there was a low point for the Eagles, it was probably late 90s, early 2000s. Do you think? Well, they did the big reunion in 94. They were the first band ever, I believe, to charge 100 bucks a ticket. Oh, okay. So that and, was going uh, on already. And I, 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 it was Henley or Glenn Fry. I think it was Glenn Fry. They, they, were, they were asked about the high ticket prices. And he, he said, we're worth it. That was his <laughs> <laughs> And they got it. You know, they sold out. And now that's pretty common for that to be a Yes, price. yes. Uh, but he well, was, because he of just put out like a sold Suckers like us trying to relive our glory days. That's all that. Yeah, you go. I mean, you make it, you know, you you suck it up and you say, all right, I'm going to go to a couple of these, you know, with these artists that you really grew up with. But he had just put out a solo album and I really liked it. And one of the things I did, Joe, and maybe this helped with my interviews go well, was, and it's just common sense, but I could imagine maybe some younger writers making a mistake in not doing this is, if you get Don Henley on the phone and he's touring for a new album, ask him about the new album first. Actually listen to it a few times. Ask him some good pointed questions about the album. Ask him about the songwriting. You know, I think he just got married at the time and you could tell that he was, you know, very much in love. And that came across on the album with a couple of the tracks. That was Inside Job, right? That's a great album. Yeah. Yeah. And so I talked to him about all that first. And then you build rapport up because now this guy's thinking, hey, this guy likes my new record. He's asking me some nice questions about the new record. Not going through the motions. Yeah. And then if you want to, after you establish that rapport and you get all that stuff, which you you want to use in the story, that's why the guy's talking to you, then you can almost ask him anything. And so then I did ask him, well, how does it feel to have the greatest selling album of all time? Do you ever think that your album, Greatest Hits, Eagles Volume 1, is in one of every three houses in the United States. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that's you know, a good point. I see what you're saying. You know, Avoid the cliches first. Yeah. Get personal, get involved, show them that you're here to help and promote and you're interested. Then you can relax and go back to mm-hmm. the cliched questions, the Eagles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The greatest ask about yet. Eagles and ask about, you know, I, Alice Cooper was an example. I, I interviewed Alice Cooper in. He, I did the same thing with Alice. Talk about the new record. Talk about the tour. How's it going? Hey, I see you used a new producer from this record than the last record. Why'd you do that? 
engage the man. That's why he's talking to you. That's what he's excited about. Then 20 minutes in. So do you consider yourself the uh, godfather of shock rock? Is Alice Cooper, <laughs> Alice Cooper and Kiss and Mary Manson all have to, you know, you know, did it all. And he's happy to answer that question at that point. But if I yeah. asked him that question first, probably wouldn't have gone so well. Yeah, so, maybe he'll get a little defensive. He'll start out with a uh, with a different stance. That's a very mm-hmm. good point. That's yeah. what I'm doing with you. <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever asked me where I went to grade school before. Yeah, that was that's, <laughs> that's why I did all that stuff. Come on, we're gonna get to the good stuff. There we go. I'll come at you. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I love that 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 you that you had an interaction with, uh, especially people of our generation. These heroes, the Bowies and the Don Henleys, and the Billy Joels. It, that's got to be a nice little notch in your belt. It was, and now 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 that you're now that it's kind of like a part of your life. Um, that you don't do as much anymore. You can look back on it and kind of celebrate it. About two years ago, I had a playroom in the basement for the kids that I, they hadn't spent 10 minutes in, in about two years. There's a bunch of toys with cobwebs on them, literally. And I, I guys, you need this anymore? Cause you're never down here. No, dad, we don't need it. So I turned it into a man cave bar. And what I'm in I did, mind now. yes, you know, you know, and when I used to when I used to interview these artists, Joe, sometimes, like I said, the story would run before it was in the art, before they came to town. So if they asked me at the end of the interview, sometimes they say, so are you coming to the show? And I tell oh, yeah, I'll be there. Well, make sure you come back and say hello. And that's when I got to meet them. And that's when I would give them a copy of the article. And rather than have them sign a CD cover or an album cover, or a poster, or a glossy, I would have them sign my article. And so I have all those hanging up in my man cave. Oh, now. that's the outstanding. Autograph. So it's no, like the autograph, Don Henley or the Kiss or Van Halen. Uh, you know, they're just, that's how it's like my little, um, it's like my little hard rock cafe. I wish you brought one with you now. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I, I could have. I mean, but uh, did, so some, did, of them wrote, some of them wrote very nice things on the, on the article. Don Henley, you signed it with gratitude. Thank you. You know, so he really loved the story and he was happy to sign a copy. He appreciated the fact that I brought him a copy. And oh, that's actually that was a unique and different approach that they often did not see. Yeah, yeah. So and did I, they always I, remember the interview or not really? Yeah, because it usually we had only done it a week or so earlier. But the thing, like wow. I was saying, is it ran on the wire, and it may have been on the wire already. So they all they had already read it. So Henley wanted to be. He loved the article so much that you know he said, "I got I mean, tell this guy to come back and." I went back and I gave him the printed version. He had read it on the wire. His publicist must have sent it to him at some point. Maybe it even ran in another city by then. And it was a great conversation, you know, oh, because he, he wound up writing me a thank you letter. It came in the mail later. Really? See, it's folks, really listening to this, Don Henley is a good dude. He is a good dude. Yeah. And uh, great, great, great conversation with him. He's one of my favorites I ever did. That is awesome. I'm going to tell everyone I know Don Henley now through you. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my claim to fame. <laughs> so, so now you're doing these interviews. You're working for um, a, a well-known publication. Uh, let's face it. We're probably old guys just saying this. Every generation says this as they get older. But at the end of the 90s, all the great music and culture starts to collapse. I don't care what anyone says. It's over, man. It's done. I don't, I, I, what, what I saw change wasn't, um, 
quality of music, especially because I was very, very involved with local music. You know, I'd written about the Badleys and all throughout the 90s, and they were the greatest band I've ever seen. Uh, Breaking Benjamin came along in the early 2000s. They got a record deal, and they've sold millions of records. And doing my radio show every Sunday, which focuses totally on local music, I continue to get wonderful music and quality music all the time. It's still being made. There are still people out there. But no one's Joe, fertilizing it. They're not. So you're not hearing it. And it's yes. the record label's fault. You know, when the Universal bought up the whole record industry in the late 90s, I think it was the worst thing that could have happened. These labels used to compete with each other. They were scouting out talent. They were developing bands. They would let a band fail on the first album, let them make another one. And that doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. Uh, so you kind of get what they give you. You have to dig in deep through the internet, through YouTube. Through, you, know, if you, you could find this music out there if you look for it. But when we were kids, you didn't have to look for it. It was presented to you on MTV or the radio. And Very good. Very good synopsis. It's that's there on kind Spotify, of, but you have to that's dig. That's kind of gone now. And also the way that young people socialize um, – has changed the nightlife scene with, with live music. It's like I was starting to say before, you would go out on a third on a, a, a week night back in the nineties. Started on a Thursday, sometimes a Wednesday. Yeah. Hundreds of people out to see a band on a on a, on a week night. And now those clubs are gone. All those ones that we mentioned before, they, they weren't replaced by new ones. Um, it's rare to see that kind of crowd out, to see live music in a in a club it really doesn't happen anymore at all and i think that a lot of that has to do with the way young people socialize when we did that we were going to hear the music but we were also going to hang out with friends uh the girls were going out to see if they could meet some guys the guys were going out to see if they could meet some girls hey let's go to the club we'll see the band the band's really good yeah, that bartender's cute. I saw her last week. Hey, that guy that, you know, that, that girl might be thinking, hey, that guy that we saw out to yes, see yes, tribes yes. last week, maybe he'll be there again. And that was a part of the way people socialized. But now you and bypass that all to, that with this, right? You bypass. Exactly. exactly. Here you go. This and it's not their fault. It's not their fault, right? It's not. We didn't have not, that shortcut. We didn't have the shortcut. And so you would go out. And the, the music was a big part of it. And I wrote about it every Friday for 15 years and it was so much fun, but the socialization component was a big part of it too. Did and that's feel, hurt the bands. So did you feel the collapse? Did you feel like, Oh my goodness, my, my career times are changing. This may not be lasting, uh, you know, as long as I had hoped. I feel the erosion of the my way of life, at least professionally. Was all that in, into your head in the early and mid 2000s? When I was, a, I became the editor of the Weekender in 2005. And I did that for two years. We were still, we were still like 96 pages a week. In at that time, there was it was still there. I could see that the the crowds weren't as big, but it was almost like no one realized it quite yet. It was starting to happen. Those clubs that I mentioned were starting to close. Um, the casino was 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 opening, and they had a couple of live venues in there. They were doing stuff with music at Breakers and Bar Louie. 
but at the same time, the, the big old rock clubs were closing. And I, you know, I, it didn't affect me personally or professionally. I was in my late thirties by then. My daughter was born. So I didn't really need to be out uh, partying every, every weekend anymore. Uh, yeah, it kind of suited I, your lifestyle. I see that, but it did, it did. But, but, and, and even for my radio show in my column, I was writing more about local original music anyway. And they were never the bands that really got, with the exception of Benjamin and the Badleys, maybe they were never the bands that got the biggest crowds. So I was still trying to foster the original talent with my column and with the radio show. The fact that the club life wasn't what it used to be, it just kind of made me, uh, I, I felt badly for the artists. I felt I felt badly for the young artists. They may have grown up seeing that. And that's what they aspired to. Maybe they thought, oh, well, I'm never going to be a rock star. But man, if I could play the staircase on Friday night to 700 people, that would be cool. And that was kind of yanked away from the younger generation of artists, because, like I said, the young people just didn't socialize that way anymore. And I saw all that change. I could I could feel a change. Yes. And then 2008, the iPhone hits. So now just a few years after you're feeling these things, the whole world is about to change. Little do we know. 2007, right. 8, 9, 10, iPhone, social media, Facebook, uh, the, the continual collapse of, I guess, what you would call band rock, you know, your traditional bassist, drummer, guitarist. I mean, it's there, but it's not in the forefront like it was. It wasn't, it's not no longer streaming through the blood vessels and corpuscles of youth. They're going in a no. different direction. No, they are. They are. And, you know, like I said, they're out there. There are bands that are still making records like that. They do it independently. You know, will they get signed by a label like Universal? Once in a while they will. Will they try to develop them? Sometimes. But there was a time when everybody was competing to have that next band. The labels were. And there was an audience for it. You cross over to radio. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a tough time to be uh, a young rock band. It really is. And, and I, I, they're, they're still out there though, and they're still. Oh, I know, I know. You, but you said, like you said, you gotta you gotta search. You gotta do some aggressive homework to find it and to find them. So what I mean, you I'm doing lucky they send thing? it to me because of the radio show. The local ones, I don't even have to look for it. I've been on the air for 17 years with the show yeah. and so they're they're you know i'm one of the i'm you know they have a short list of people they want to send it to from media or newspapers or radio to a couple of other folks that do shows like mine i'm on the short list i get stuff i'm lucky and i discover great music but yeah that's if not i were to graph the uh here's the i hate to say this here's the uh oh, i gotta choose this word wisely now here is the popularity here is the uh, um, um, out in the forefrontness of Alan K. Stout, dun, dun, rising, he's peaking. It's the '90s. It's the early 2000s. Do you, will you admit that? And then there's a, a a slight downward part of the bell-shaped curve now. As you're 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 a local legend, but is there <laughs> le is there less entrenchment in the public eye in youth, middle age? Doesn't matter. Alan K. Stout peaked as a local <laughs> icon 
in the in 1999 yeah. in the 90s and early 2000s i mean that's okay no you know i I never thought about it like that i, I used to do this uh, poll at the weekender and i still won the favorite columnist i think up to like the late 2000s 2009 or 10 or something like that and that i don't know how that happened because okay yeah, yeah, that's, that's, too, yeah. that's 10 years ago any, already I, I buddy didn't, i didn't do any campaigning or anything it just they wrote my name down but um, Listen, I'm with you. I'm past my prime too. Okay. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I was doing something, Joe, though, and it wasn't about me, but to, 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 it got me thinking here, which is fun. I did that concert for a cause at the Woodlands uh, every year up until 2011. The one I, I know that you, you. you had helped out with that. On yep. You had some of our people on, on the weather out in the backyard. Yep. Yep. Promote. That's how I got to know you a little bit. So that's, 10, 15 years ago now, that show, which I was, uh, you know, I guess the organizer of, that still was a big deal right up until the end. You know, we had 37 bands on the bill. Uh, we had a packed Woodlands. And when was the end? 2011. That was the last. Okay. Yeah, that was the last one that I did. That's weird. That's a decade um, ago already. Still seems like is. a new thing to me. It is, but I guess... To, to kind of agree with what you're saying and, and to kind of partner with what we've been saying about the, the local music scene. When we start a concert for a cause, we could raise $20,000 and have 1,500 people there with seven bands. And when I ended the concert for a cause, I was trying to raise the same amount of money and get the same amount of people there with 37 bands. Huh. And and, then, and that's what I that's what we had to do to get right to it right there. Yeah, we used to be in the ballroom uh, with two bands on each side of the woodlands, and then we said, so "Well, let's get some more bands. We'll get some more people up here." And we put a band in the nightclub, and then we put a, a stage downstairs, and we had four stages for the last couple of years. And really, what I was trying to do when I did that was expand. It was a there was a lot of artists that wanted to play, so it was great to have them involved. But I was trying to keep that donation the same as it used to be. And so I thought, well, if there isn't a band anymore that draws 500 people, but they all draw 50 to 100 people, let's get them all <laughs> and put them on the bill and see if we could maintain the the donation that we made from the concert. And that that did work out, but it was harder. It was a lot. It was a lot harder because things were changing. Things were changing and change is slow. And sometimes you don't know until uh, it's downriver already. And then you say, oh, there goes that other thing that was a part of my life. And now it's 500 yards downstream. One thing I noticed even with my kids, how, how old are your kids, may I ask? 14 and 12. Okay. So mine are a little older um, and they're great. You notice this with your kids and all of the younger people. When we were younger, and this was through the 70s, 80s, and I'd say 90s, Music, you'd have a receiver, you'd have some form of recorded playback, whether it be a turntable or cassette or later on CDs and so forth. But I wanted big speakers, amplifiers. I wanted to feel the vibe and the pressure waves from music. Oh, now, yeah. All of my kids are very much into music. I'd say more than your average um, young person. But yet, none of them are interested in a high fidelity sound system. I bought my son one when he was, I think, in 10th, 11th grade, and he's had it at college and so forth. He just gave it to me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, 
here, dad, I don't really need this anymore. I appreciate it. And he gave me his big speakers and his receiver. And I said, well, what, what are you, what are you listening to now to feel the music? And he replaced it with a Google device as big as a toaster. It seems they're satisfied with just that instead of this. I think this goes with the concert experience that we're talking about to feel the pressure wave and the thud of the drums and the bass. They're not after that anymore. I don't know why. That's one of my joys of life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you, if you remember, there was almost when we were in high school, you know, the, the, the size of your boombox mattered, <laughs> you know, I mean, like yeah. the, you know, your component system, you know, you would build your stereo system up sometimes, Yes. you know, piece it together. I'm going to get a great turntable and I'm going to yes. get a great cassette deck. And I'm going to get these huge speakers. I'm going to get 12 inch woofers. Right. To fit. I remember, I, I remember there was this guy that used to work at Boscov's and this is something kids wouldn't relate to at all. He was a, he was from Russia. He spoke broken English. And he could put a car, he would install the car. You paid a guy to put the car, your car didn't even come with a stereo. You know, you get this old hand-me-down car from, from your parents from the 70s at a dashboard. You know, if you wanted your cassette deck, you had to go buy one. You step it up, man. You and then, you, yeah, and then, then you get these, and then, so that was your thing. Well, I'm going to invest in this. You know, the stereo system was literally sometimes more valuable more than valuable the car. More valuable than the car. They're, they're not interested anymore in that. No. I'm not saying they're not interested in music, but they're interested in it for from a different angle. And I don't know what that is. Rock yeah. music and loud music is a source of energy and tribalism to feel it, to get excited from it, to get energy from it. And that, that's gone somewhere now. And I'm not going to be the old guy making fun of rap. I see their value in rap. But that that when I listen to what my kids are listening to, some rap songs, for example, I'm not feeling elated. I'm not feeling energized. I'm not feeling a vibe of revolution and 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 zest for life. I don't know what that music's doing. It's doing something else. Yeah, you know, I I I, I agree with you. I, I you know, I I respect anybody that's out there recording and writing music, and if it's connecting with young people in yeah, any way, I, that's I'm great. I'm trying to understand but, it. I'm not trying to criticize know, it. Is it more about holding your cell phone up and doing one of those video selfies where you're, you know, singing along to it. Or, 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 I mean, yeah, I would, maybe that's the direction you're right. You know, I would, I would sit and listen in my room with my headphones on to albums till Frank. two o'clock in the morning. Cause I didn't want to, you know, disturb my parents. And I was just immersing myself in these songs. Um, they, they still they get me pumped for the day. They spoke to me uh, in different ways. I would, I would hope that that's still happening with young people with music, but, it's in you a different see, way. It's happening. Yeah, right? and you can way. just see by the way that the charts are and, and albums. I mean, with the sound scan, you could you could debut at number one on the album chart and sell fifty thousand records, probably or less. Yeah, you know, and exactly. have the number have the number one album in the country. So you know, for it's week, tough for a day or a week or two days, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you you know, and then you and then 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 you're off the chart. Sometimes it's it's very strange. Um, even the fact that you can download a song for a dollar, pretty much, from iTunes. Do you remember how much a 45 used to cost, Joe, when you went to buy one at the record store in like 19... was it? 199 299 Yeah, it was like, they were like a dollar. 
Yeah. So 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 the the price of buying a song hasn't changed in 40 years. I mean, you'd think like, you no, know, no, it, but yeah, 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 but your buying power has. I I say this. Um a wise man once said nothing has value if it's free. And that's so true. Um when when back in the day I didn't have any money when I was in high school. And if I had 20 bucks in my pocket, that's a lot of money. And maybe you'd buy one album for $8.99 or $10.99. Now, for 10 bucks a month on Spotify, I can digest the entire music library on planet Earth. Yeah. And yeah. I think it is the that's one of the that's one of my bills where I almost say to Spotify, do you want more? You're sure this is it? <laughs> I can't believe how disposable and cheap uh, music is now. And I guess it's the artists that are paying the price. One thing I, I, I'll make this analogy and I, I it, it has to do with music too. And when you're talking about the quality of the younger artists and young bands, I, I said this about 10 years ago for the first time, and I'll repeat it once in a while. I wish that music was like sports. Okay in finding the talent. If you live in rural Alabama, out on some back road, and you play uh, high school ball for a little high school, and you're 15, 16 years old, okay. and you can throw the ball 97 miles an hour, and you've got a curve ball that's making guys look silly, yeah. someone is going to find you. It's, you're not going to be missed. They're scouts. They're out there. They'll send some guy out. He'll check you out. You might have a couple of guys sitting in the stands. They network. They know what's going on. The coaches talk to guys and, 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 and female athletes as well. And they will sit down at your kitchen table. The, the guy will pull up. You could be living in a little trailer somewhere. And he'll pull up in his driveway in his Mercedes. <laughs> and he will sit down at the table with your parents. I want you to sign with the Baltimore Orioles. And you're going to have an opportunity to move through our minor league system. And if you continue to advance, you will become a major league baseball player. And that's how it happens. And, and there's no sure. nonsense. You know, it's it, pencil in your sport. So now Football. the music analogy. You're saying there's some Elton John. In uh, in central Iowa, and what he's not, and and the guy from the record label goes to check them out and doesn't like them and comes home, <laughs> and, that's and that's it. the end, and that's it. There's yeah. Elton John, never discovered, never because never. it's because it's one, it's it's not tangible. It's it's taste. I mean, A and R guys, they're the guys, and because they know they can't make money, that's it. Though, they right? swing in, well, they swing in. I, I mean, there's a lot of stories of bands that. You know the, the the swing and miss guy. You know, well, the, we were talking to this label, but they pa they they passed on us. They pa but eventually they got found. That's not happening. I don't think as much anymore. I don't think they're investing that much in in A and R. I don't think that they're going out. I mean, I remember when the Badleys got signed. The guy from A and M Records watched them from the balcony at Tinks. Uh, he he flew in from California because he heard about this band that was blowing that up. Right, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and he signed them immediately. And they had uh, Atlantic was talking to them. Columbia was talking to them. There are a couple of uh, labels like courting them. 
Is this like um, River Songs? Is this that time period? Or yes, Alex? yes. Okay. And so that was really an exciting time uh, for for the for the for that band. And I, you know, was I was talking to their manager all the time. At how's it going? You know, what's going on with the label and doing stories about the guys. So I I knew what was going on, and it's the way that it should have happened. They 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 made an independent record. They sold twelve thousand copies here in Pennsylvania. They're getting airplay they had management they had a good they had a great band got people's attention people came out saw how good they were and they got offered deals um that is that's how it should happen i don't think it happens as much as it should today with younger artists and and i think there's a lot of people that are you know missing it and that's what I, that's that's what that's why i like to make that sports analogy in sports they don't it's a good analogy. You're right. But I think because yeah. they have a vested interest in making money and maybe it's less so now for the record companies, which are fragmented and dissolved. Yeah. I mean, they look at it as how would this appeal to everybody? I mean, but you know, what, what, what would an A&R person say today if they saw Bob Dylan, you know, I mean, playing all oh, his voice isn't that great, you know, yeah, yes. doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a lot of stage presence. How are we going to put this guy in a video? You know, I mean, you know, thank God those guys came along before all that bad. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> we never would have heard them today. Or Eddie Van Halen. Well, who plays a guitar like that? That's not how you play a guitar. What's that noise you're producing? That's not what we want, right? Yeah, right, right. right. I couldn't but, believe the other day I read an interview with um, um, a producer who was a part of John Lennon, uh, John Lennon's recording of revolution did you ever hear the story where he when he made that distorted intro to the song revolution oh yeah on the guitar the fuzzy guitar it's Mm -hmm. the producer said he he couldn't even imagine why why he would do something like that he said he felt like firing himself for allowing that to happen oh wow How, how the thought was so different there like to do something different with the with the guitar and fuzz it out and distort it was unheard of at the time John, yeah. why would you want to do that? And yet that's the best part of that song. Well, that's a good, that's a good, I don't know, that would have been George Martin, I guess. Uh, that's a Well, it was one, one of the engineers, I'm sorry, not producers. It was one of the engineers. It was one of them. Because the, uh, George, yeah, George Martin passed a few years ago. I thought maybe it was an old interview. No, no, sorry, it was one of these tech guys, the engineers. Tech guys. Didn't want that. Right. Well, How I dare mean, you do that? That's, uh, that's a great example of an artist you know, knowing what he wanted and, and, and making history really. Thank uh, God pursuing it. So in the last 10 years now, what have you been doing? We're leaving off in like 2010, you're doing concert with the cause. You're still reviewing now. What are you now? What? I went over in 2011 and I took a job with big brothers, big sisters. Um, I, uh, I thought that, uh, I was a little worried about the future of the newspaper business. Um, I was only in my early forties and I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta work 20, 25 more years. Hmm. You know, talk about, you know, newspapers made a mistake in the nineties when they put everything up online for free. You know, everything was, you know, they, they train their own readers to read the paper for free. (laughs) And after a couple of years, you know, all of a sudden circulation's going down. Well, what did you think was going to happen? You know, (laughs) and so they, 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 they've, done a lot better recently of making up some of that lost revenue with online ads and stuff. But for a while they really couldn't figure it out. And uh, I thought I better do something else. I still love newspapers. I still read them. I still have friends there. 
I still contribute as a freelancer sometimes. Uh, I hope they're around role? forever. What but I went over Big Brothers. What, what, so it's not a journalism role. No, I, I, I got into marketing at the Times Leader, too. I ran the newspapers and education program for a couple of years, and I got to more of a marketing position. And a lot of journalists, kind of as you know, a lot of journalists, as you know, go into PR, yeah, public relations. And I wound up basically doing that. So I was uh, communications and marketing events with big, I got involved with both for kids sake. That's how I got to know Tom and Noreen Clark really well. Great people that yes. were so supportive of that event. Um, then my role expanded at the Big Brothers Big Sisters with Catholic Social Services, and I wound up doing more of the publicity and the PR for the entire agency. Even that, so the, more, even though it sounds very fulfilling, I think there was a little void in your heart. Though you missed the writing, you missed the reviewing, you missed the journalism, you missed all that. Well, you know, I kind of stayed. I left the paper on such good terms that I could kind of parachute in when I felt like it. So, <laughs> you know, like. Like I, I remember a couple of times when I was at Big Brothers Big Sisters, like uh, Kiss were coming to town, and I would reach out to the editor of the Times Leader and say, "Hey, do you want me to do you want me to interview Paul Stanley? I can get him." And, you oh, said, yes, "I'm." So. You said, "I'm Alan K. Stout." <laughs> well, <laughs> there that was a band I had a, a, a nice relationship with, so I would freelance and cover some concerts during those years and do some interviews with the ones that I really wanted to do. But at the same time, and I kept the radio show always. Yes. So I was still on the radio every Sunday and I never left that. So I've always been supporting the local artists, playing them, celebrating them. I don't really like to use the word supporting because it sounds like it's a chore. Uh, enjoying them and, and putting them on the radio and giving them the exposure they deserve. So to answer your question, I, I enjoyed the Big Brothers uh, and the Catholic Social Services work. I kind of enjoyed being on the other side of things. I was the guy that used to get the press releases. Now I was writing the press releases. And I I kind of knew what was required to get us the publicity that we needed. I knew I knew how to how I knew if we we were a PSA, Joe, that was on NEP, uh, Big Brother. We did we did a different one every year. And I was basically the one that organized that whole thing. I was the one that, you know, reached out to Scott Cannon at Video Innovations and worked with the caseworkers to make sure that we had some volunteers that would. And I set up where oh, where are we going to shoot it this year? Let's do it down by the courthouse. I wanted the backdrops to be local so that people would realize it wasn't a nationally produced commercial, but that it was local program, with local kids. And I enjoyed doing all that work. You know, you could see the rewards. Sure. Saw, oh, my goodness, yes. When you but saw, yet in the last few months, you felt you needed a change. Well, oh, with my new position, you mean? Yeah, I thought that's what led up yeah. to this new position. Yeah, well, or is there something well, I'm missing there? No, no, no. I mean, I'll be real honest about it. Uh, during COVID-19, uh, Catholic Social Services, we went through what everybody did. Uh, we were told to work from home for about a month. No, we were laid off for a month, a, a lot of us. And then we were brought back for two months during the payroll protection plan. Okay. And then when that expired, a lot of us were let go, including me. Wow. And so no hard feelings um, and this at all. Just recently. Yeah, that was last June. And so last summer. And so there was, and to be honest with you, when they were trimming some of the programs, I didn't feel I was going to be busy enough anyway. 
because they did have to cut some programs. And my job was to market the programs. And Big Brothers, Big Sisters went independent. They went, uh, they formed their own 501c3, so they were gone. And, you know, we did have someone up in the Scranton Diocese office that could handle the little bit of PR that Catholic Social Services still needed. And so I wasn't surprised at all. Uh, no hard feelings. I okay. had nine, nine great years there. I got a promotion to director of marketing and communications for the whole diocese for Catholic social services. So that helped my resume. I bet you too that your wife makes tons of money. Uh, I'm single. Oh, I did (laughs) did not know that. All right. Okay. Ladies, look at that smile. Look at that hair. Come on. Look at that that uh, cheekbone. uh, I I am divorced. Uh, Great co-parenting situation with with my ex-wife, talk to her every day about the kids, put okay. time with them. To, uh, I I do have somebody that I that I date. When, when did uh, that happen? May I ask? The divorce. Two thousand fourteen. Okay, so not that uh, distant. Okay, I mean, yeah. so hey, your life gone through uh, career changes. You've oh, seen yeah. the fall of industries. You've seen. Um, you know these tidal waves of oh of, yeah of 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 of. of one enterprise coming in and then one waning. You've seen it all, dude. You and you know, just you gotta you gotta hang in there. I saw I saw the newspaper industry towards the end of my time there yes. start to start to struggle, uh, personal struggles with uh, you know going through a divorce, um, seeing changes, you know, going through the Catholic. So you know, COVID nineteen was, you know, what. I, I think those changes were going to be happening at Catholic social services anyway. I really do. Uh, so I'm just grateful that I, I got some great experience there and was able to broaden my resume with marketing, communications, public relations, that I wasn't just seen as Alan K. Stout from music on the menu anymore. I had a lot more on my resume, and that led to me eventually getting a job that I have now, which you know I'm absolutely thrilled with. But look at Absolutely. this, the lo- local clubs, bands, the music industry, your journalism reviews of it, your relationship and careers. You've seen the ebb and flow of all of these things. It's pretty oh, yeah. interesting, I think, right? Oh, yeah. And you're I mean, writing them out and you're staying positive and vibrant. Yeah. I mean, what else can you do? You got you to gotta, you gotta buckle your chin strap and say, okay, what's next? Um and sometimes it's hard, you know, in the middle of all that stuff with my divorce, my mom passed away at the same time. And she was only 69 years old and non-smoker wound up getting lung cancer and didn't even smoke. And so, yeah, you, you got to push on. You know, my kids certainly were, uh, were inspiring during that time. You got no choice. I mean, you know, you, you can't, you can't fold, you can't fold the tent. You got to stay keep, tough. Yeah. You, yeah. Did, did, is there such a link to, to radon or do they try to match it up to some environmental? Uh... I know what, I do have a theory on it, Joe. Uh, I know, I know I'm glad that, I'm glad that we do a lot better these days than we did when I was a kid, when you were a kid, and certainly when my mom was a kid with secondhand smoke. Secondhand smoke. My memories of my grandparents' house were wonderful. It was like my second home. They were like parents to me. I was there all the time. But I remember being in their living room in the wintertime and literally playing in the smoke. 
from the cigarettes, pushing it around with my hands and, you know, thinking it was kind of cool because they're sitting there like on their, you know, it was like all in the family. They had their chairs. I they know. had their little, they had their little stand up ashtrays next to their chairs and they were sitting there watching all in the family and gun smoke puffing away. I'm with and, you. What a cultural shift. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. And I'm playing in it and, you know, thinking it's kind of neat. And so I don't know exactly what happened with, with my mom, but, right, but if she, could, she was also, uh, she also liked to finish and stain things. She liked to read antiques and she would, you know, my dad once said to me, she was always around those fumes and, you know, well, who knows? Who knows? Um, it could, could have been multiple cues, could have been uh, did wear a mask genetic tendencies. That, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the point is, I, I don't want to be a downer here, but. No, yeah. Alan K. Stout is a survivor. That's the moral of the story here. Like is everybody you else. This, you got this great uh, career and you got these, 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 so to speak, trophies of experience placed up on your life. Uh, shelf yeah. i love it do, do, do you this new position a guy like me i don't even understand what you do what is the title and what do you do all for eight hours a day i don't even get it i'm the executive director of the luzerne county convention and visitor bureau which is i don't also- know what that means well, visitors bureaus are, that's great. I'm glad you asked. A visitors bureau, they have them in every county or right. community. It's a place where people can find out what to do in this community. So if you come into our office, it's full of brochures on attractions. And it's everything from the arena to Ricketts Glen Park to uh, River Common to Hillside Farms. I mean, we have a survey of all the top 20 things to do in Luzerne County. So we promote what we do. We promote the quality of life here. We promote things to do. Our goal as an agency or as a bureau is to get people to come here. Um, our office is funded by the hotel tax. So it doesn't cost the taxpayers a oh, dime. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. So, you know, in every, in every state has this, I, from what I understand, or, or most. And so you come, you know, no one has, it doesn't really hurt anybody. If you go to stay in a hotel somewhere, Joe, and it's going to be. 140 you know, bucks, and then you end it, up paying 165. That's no, not that goes. much. It's, two, it's like 2%. So well, that's it's, interesting. It's, so it's not a lot of money for an individual. It doesn't hurt anybody. You're not yeah. going to, oh, well, we're not going to stay there now. I'm not paying yeah. that extra four bucks. But what it does in the Why till, the Kentucky accent? <laughs> but what it does is in the whole till, it goes in and it, it, helps, it helps It helps fund the arena. It helps fund the visitors bureau. It all goes back in investing in the community. And so what we do is we take our revenue from the hotel tax and we invest it in things like uh, the Keystone State Games. We'll sponsor something like that which brings amateur athletes and they come here for a week and they stay in our hotels and they eat in our restaurants. And that event brought in millions of dollars to Luzerne County just last week, the air show, the river fest. Uh, that's things that bring people in getting back to music, the rock in the County and the rock in the river music series that we've done the last few years. We've got 3000 people down at the river, watching music, enjoying the beauty of the Susquehanna river and the market street bridge and, so these are all things that we do here at the Visitors Bureau. And you're to, bolstering pride in the community. Well, what else could you ask for? I love it. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, come in, you come into this county, and we have people that come from all over the upper northeast part of the United States 
to walk to go to Ricketts Glen, to go on our trails here, uh, to go. You know, we did a survey a couple of years ago of the top attractions, and of course, it's the casino and it's the penguins and it's the arena and it's the Kirby, which I'm looking at right out my window right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirby, uh, but it's also it's also outdoors. It's it's the tubs, you know. It's it's uh, hillside farms and, and going out there and kayaking enjoying. on the Susquehanna. I, I just did it. My son and I did 14 miles last weekend. Oh we boy, that must have been a long one. I get bored after an hour or two. That had yeah, to take no. a while. We were out a long time. We hit a couple of couple of tricky spots, which is they're a the challenge. best. They're the best. Fun. I love, I love that. I love the challenge of hey, they, they tell us the night before, Joe, the guides. They said, look. This is a funny story because no one was hurt. So it's funny. So I'm going to take my son on Riverfest. I had done it myself before once, but I wanted to do it with my son and he's old enough now. So I called the guy, my mom, my ex-wife, mom's worried because river was high a couple weeks ago. Something like They nine, always worry. Nine, 10 feet. They won't even do Riverfest if the Susquehanna is over five feet. So you don't have to worry about it. It's not happening if the river's dangerous. But anyway, I still make the call to the kayak guy. And I say, look, I'm going to be out with my son. I've been on the river before, but this is my first time with him. His mom's nervous. You know, can you give me some suggestions of safety? He goes, you'll be fine. The river's low. You've done it before. You're going to be with a group. Guides will be there. You're going to have a great time. Like, fine. So I said, because I don't want to wind up in the river with my son. I mean, that would not be good if we capsized. That would not be good for mom. No. And he goes, that hasn't happened in like 25 years. You'll be fine. (laughs) We get up there. They 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 did one Friday night, the short one, for Pittston to... Wilkesbury, and then Saturday, my son and I are doing the longer one from Harding to Wilkesbury. Get on the school bus, drive us up to Harding, get out there. The kayaks are all side of the river. They hand out the life jackets. They give us a little speech. The guy goes, "Now be very careful when we get to the Pierce Street Bridge. There's a nasty current there, and the guy wound up in the river last night." <laughs> so, oh man! Exactly uh, so, yeah. what he told me. So, exactly so what he told me hadn't happened in twenty twenty five years. Yeah, happened the night before. <laughs> Well, you just so, don't tell I, mom that part. That's no, all. No, I didn't tell her that. So we got uh, we got to the Pier Street Bridge, and I was real aware of that that little current there, and uh, I was <laughs> able to avoid it, and there was no problem. So, That's it. You got to man up and just uh, you know dive right into it. You know what I That's mean? It. Yeah, we had a great time. Never so show any sweat on the brow. So, so I mean, that's what the visit the, the visitors bureau is here uh, to invest back in the community to support events to, to support attractions. You know, we meet with the Restaurant and Lodging Association in Harrisburg. We get trends. We see how people are doing through COVID. There's this group called PA Sports. Uh, that's a group that we're a, part, a partner with where we learn about other sporting events. Like, do we have the facilities? There might be somebody looking to hold uh, a soccer tournament. They call that, you, you set it up. I got gotcha. you. And we could see, hey, well, we, we, can, we, can, we can provide you with 10 fields. So, uh, we have hotels. You know, we, we, can, we can help. We can help make this happen for you. And that brings people to town. They stay here. They eat here. They, you know, fills the hotels up. The restaurants are full. And everybody's happy. Well, Alan, your your career has been moving in like like 10 year increments. So this could be the last one. Then you'll be 63 and retire. I think this might be my last stop. You know, I'm only here. I'm only here for five weeks. I haven't I haven't screwed up anything yet. Uh, Not too bad anyway. So (laughs) they might they might let me hang around. I wish you well on that. And if you ever need me in uh, the media, let let, let me know. 
I have an idea for that, and I'm going to be talking to you about that. Ooh, folks, you hear that, baby? That's something coming down the pike. Your name came up at a meeting here um, my first day, actually. You and a few other people from radio and television that I thought we could have some fun with with the Visitors Bureau. You know, if it's good for the people, it's good for me. I'm in, buddy. I'm in. I know. I know you will be. It'll be fun. It'll it'll be easy. It'll It'll take you five minutes or 10 minutes someday, but we'll have a good time with it. We've been going an hour, uh, 20 minutes. I'm afraid I'm going to be uh, too boring to people. Do you think we can uh, cut this thing <laughs> off? How about we end it for those YouTube watchers? You got to put those shades on that you started with. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was looking first... down a lot. So if you're watching on YouTube, I was looking down at my screen. <laughs> Joseph, you might just see the top of my head here. <laughs> That's all right. Those grays. Joe said I don't have. I got them. Since your first concert was The Who, I'd like to see you put those shades on and do the windmill with Pete Townsend. Oh. Could you do that? <laughs> no, you can't be on. <laughs> Well, it looks like the, uh, the 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 wall disappeared part of your arm, but it looks good. Man, I thank you for I, chatting for an hour and oh, a half. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opp- opportunity. And, uh, you know, thank you for all you do with for our community, with St. Saint, with Saint Joe's and, and, you know, just entertaining us. You make the weather fun. So yeah, thank you. You're, you're feeling obligated to say that now. No, but, I'm not. But no, this was great. I love uh, talking to all the uh, local dignitaries and learning their history and how they got to where they are. And I think it's an inspiration to others. You know, I like that initial pitch where you sent out the packet. You know what I mean? As a substitute teacher, because I did the same thing. Folks, send things out, start your own fire. No one's going to start it for you. Right. I was still living at home, Joe, and the big packet was sitting on the dining room table. I remember like it was yesterday because I had all these clips that I wrote, articles I wrote. My mom said to me, what's that? And I said, I'm sending that to the Times leader. She goes, for what? I go, I want to recover music. She goes, well, that's a long shot. That's exactly what she said. Perfect. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm taking her to meet Sting a couple of years oh! later. So. <laughs> that says it all, buddy. All right. Well, thanks for everything, buddy. I'm going to hit the big red uh, button and stop this recording. And uh, it was great talking to you. Folks, if you have any uh, interesting uh, individuals, you can't beat this guy, but uh, email me, joe.snedeker.com at WNEP.com. I am Mr. Curiosity. That man right there is Alan K. Stout. He's signing off. He's got the shades on and he's windmilling. Peace, brother. Thanks, Thanks you got it. Thank you. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity.